Well, God bless you guys. Well, if you will, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Um, and as you're turning, I want to encourage you all. I sent out a message uh, this morning, uh, probably about 9.45 or 10, uh, asking all the church to be praying for one another. We have a lot of sickness in our congregation right now. It's, it's in our community. It's everywhere. And it does affect the corporate worship. Even though we're full today, I mean, I'm looking about, I don't know if anyone else would have anywhere to sit, maybe a few chairs here and there. But that's the point. We have many in our congregation who could be here this morning, but because of sickness, they cannot be. So uh, if you see someone missing this morning, would you uh, be thoughtful and send them a just a prayer this morning and this week? Contact them. Hey, we love you. We miss you. Pray that you're feeling better. That would really be nice, wouldn't it? That, that builds community, doesn't it? So let's be thinking on that for one another's sake. Amen? Luke chapter 2. Uh, I mean... This is the third Sunday of Advent today. It's, and we're reminded today that this is the season of joy. But think about this. I mean, we're reminded on this third Sunday of the Advent season of the joy that Christ's redemption brings to our sinful souls. That's the, that's the theme here. That's the point. I mean, if, if, if you'll follow with me in one passage today from Luke's gospel, this is Luke chapter two, verses one through 20. I mean, we'll see two expressions of adoration and praise of the arrival of the Savior. We're going to see two expressions of adoration and praise that are joyful at the arrival of the Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to see this in this passage from two sources. The first will be the adoration and praise from the heavenly host. I mean, the, the angelic army, literally that's the way to translate that, whose mission is to praise and glorify the Lord always and forever. That's the first example of adoration and praise we're going to see. And then secondly, will be from these lowly shepherds. Men who were outcasts from society. I mean, these men were lonely men living in the fields, always attentive to the needs of their flock. These men were frightened. They were terrified upon the arrival of an angel of the Lord. But this terror, this is the key here. We're going to look at this more so next week. This terror was turned into adoration and praise. I mean, this week... I want us to focus on Luke chapter 2, really verses 1 through 14, and we'll, we'll, we'll land in verses 13 through 14 on the adoration and the joy of the heavenly host. But then next week I want us to focus on Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20, on the adoration and the praise of these lowly shepherds. We're going to look at both of these this week and next week. Are you all ready for that? Let's do this. I love this cheering section over here. <laughs> it does help. Because this is the Christmas season. How many of us are already worried and stressed and burned out and it's not even Christmas Day yet? The mothers are going, "Uh uh-huh. I mean, this is the season of adoration and praise, of joy that our sins are now atoned for. I mean, my prayer for these two studies together this week and next week is that we all, and myself included, I pray that we'll all enter into the season of Advent this season of anticipation and longing with a response of adoration and praise. I mean, what a joyful gift to God's people to be able to adore Him. Right? 
I mean, what a joyful gift to the redeemed of his people to praise him because the promised one has arrived and he will come again. So let's, if you're able to stand, let's stand and read Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And when they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, y'all read this with me, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Wow. That's our prayer this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Your servant Luke is the only Gospel writer who gives us this account. And so God, we we, we pause this morning in this season of Advent, this season of longing and anticipation of, of the Savior of the world coming. And Lord, I pray that you would settle our hearts this morning. You settle our souls into this response of your heavenly host on that moment that your son was born. Lord, is that our response as well? Lord, if it is not, I pray God you would stir us to sing praises and to be joyful that your son is here. Stir us, Father, this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Now, now this passage is a familiar passage. How many families read this text as a tradition in your home on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? Just two families. Three families. Can we have four? How about six? Ten? See, this is the traditional path. Even, not so much anymore, but it used to be, even even the secular celebrations of Christmas would refer to this passage. But if you try to do that now, you might go to jail for being insensitive and hateful. But notice here, Luke, I mean, this passage is the only account in the Gospels. Of all four Gospels, Luke's account is the only one that gives us the details of that wonderful, holy, and glorious night. It's because she's getting this story from Mary. We looked at this last week and week before. It is Mary who is telling these stories to Luke. 
who is then sharing these to us. I mean, this is the only passage, the only account of the miraculous birth of our Savior. Luke tells us how it happened, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem as Mary was far from her home in Nazareth when the time came for her to give birth. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. The time came for her to give birth. Notice this. She was not home. She was far from her home, far from her family. And this is the only account we have of that night. The providential hand of God is seen in the events here in verses 1 through 7. Remember, just in summary, a Roman decree for a census tax required that Joseph travel with Mary, who was his family now. They were betrothed to be married. And they had to travel to David's ancestral home in Bethlehem. God's hand, his providential hand, is at work here. We can't overlook that. Having Mary arrive at the prophesied place and the specific time for her to give birth, no other explanation can satisfy the truth here. Why were they in Bethlehem at this moment for her to give birth? The exact moment. Only God's providential hand could direct all these steps. Why is this important? Because we read in Micah chapter 5 what would happen on this particular night. God directed all of this. Micah chapter 5 verses 2 through 5. The prophet Micah says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she is in labor, has given birth, when the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And verse 5, and he shall be their peace. The prophet Micah spoke of this exact moment in Luke chapter 2. And God's providential hand orchestrated every step. Jesus was born and he shall be great. And he was born and he shall be their peace. And that's what's being fulfilled here. Even in the proclamation from the heavenly host. That's what they're going to be amplifying here. Verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Traditional scene. Luke takes us through the events that no other gospel writer does. And this night when Jesus was born occurred in an insignificant place with insignificant people. Witnessed by insignificant testimony of lowly shepherds. No one would have believed them that God chose all this. I mean, this birth in Bethlehem would have never been significant if it had not been made known to the world through the witnesses chosen by God's providential hand. I mean, this particular historical event was no accident. And Luke's account glorifies that truth. I mean, the method of proclaiming the eternal significance of this birth which is described here in Luke's gospel, appears to be the opinions of men to be insignificant. I mean, men would hear this story and think, that is too crazy to be real. Shepherds told you this? 
But look here in verse 9. As these shepherds are out in their fields in the night, as they do, verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and look at their response, and they were what? Filled with fear. I mean, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I mean, the first of the heavenly witnesses appears to these fearful men. Some translations in verse 9 mention the angel of the Lord. The article the is there. And some translations mention an angel of the Lord, a different article. I don't think that the exegetical importance between the and an is important enough for us to wrestle with who the angel was. Some people want to go there. They want to say if it's the angel of the Lord, then it's probably Gabriel or maybe even a Christophany. If it was an angel of the Lord, well, he was just another lowly angel somewhere. That's insignificant here. But in verse 10, when we get down there, we will have to take a look at the importance of the article, the people versus all people. We'll look at that here in a minute. But let's suffice it to say that an important heavenly messenger here in verse 9 approached these shepherds in the night in a glorified way to what? To announce the birth of the promised Messiah, Jesus, the Lord. I mean, look, this angel appeared. And I think if we look here in verse 9, we're going to see that this angel did not appear in ordinary form as many angels are said to do in the Scriptures. Oftentimes when we see angels coming in Scripture, they come almost like a, in a human form, an insignificant presence, yet somehow holy and different. But I think when we look here in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. We don't see that, def, that, that detail of an angelic presence anywhere else in Scripture. Anytime an angel shows up, it's almost like, well, that was another man. Something different, but we don't necessarily see the glory of the Lord shining around them other than in this moment. That's, the, that's not insignificant. This angel, the angel of the Lord, appeared to these shepherds in a very unique way. Heavenly glory surrounded these men with the brightness reserved only for the glory of the Most High. This was not just some angel floating up in the sky. It wasn't some angel that appeared to be a man coming in the night, walking up to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. That's different. I mean, I think in doing so, this angel of the Lord sought to affect their minds that they might receive the message of, of this adoration and praise that was coming from the mouth of God himself. That's not insignificant. No wonder these men were filled with great fear. I mean, the, the Greek here literally is mega fear. Great fear. Verse 10 through 12. Think about it. Anytime you're in the presence of the Most High, we do see this regularly in Scripture. Anytime the presence, even anytime the glory of the Lord shines, anytime His presence is before men, what do they do? They are prostrate on their face in the dirt, in fear. That's what these shepherds were experiencing. 
And we look here in verses 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I mean, the message of this angel is significant in order to understand the level of adoration and praise that's going to follow here in 13 through 14. I mean, notice here in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, this particular message here in verse 10 to these particular men brought in that night when the heavenly glory enveloped them. This is the answer of God's promise made from the beginning of fallen human history. And it was repeated by God's prophets throughout the history of Israel. God promised this moment. The good news is not a ho-hum declaration that is lost in the noise of human voices here. I mean, this good news is the voice of God declaring an event that is of great joy for all the people. He is speaking through these messengers of angels. Here is what is happening. I mean, these men were greatly afraid. And this message in verse 10 is meant, I think, two part to both alleviate their fear, calm them down, so that they could clearly hear the message. But it's also meant to declare a heavenly joy that is for all the people. I mean, their great fear is redirected to great joy here. As this angel announces what the mercy of God. Think about that. These shepherds were in great terror, yet the message of the angel wants to calm them down so that they can react to and respond to the mercy of God that is coming. I mean, when, when, when men hear this single word that God is reconciled to them, it not only raises up those who have fallen, but also restores those who were ruined and calls them from death to life. And so this great joy is that fallen men truly see God's love toward them, which alone gives peace. Those who refuse this this great message of joy will have no peace. I think that's the point here too. Those who refuse the great message of joy will be lost in the swamp of despair, misguided pursuits of, of their selfish pleasures. And so this is why at the end of the angel's opening declaration here in verse 10, the message concludes with who is gifted this great joy. Look here at verse 10 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? Some, some translations say all people, some say all the people. We're going to break this down. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Though the angel addresses these shepherds alone, I mean, he plainly states that the message of salvation which he brings is going to also be for a wider context too. I mean, not only will these shepherds hear this great message of good news, but others will hear it also. I mean, notice, though, that the importance of the intended audience here. I mean, this joy would be commanded to all the people because it was offered for all to hear. 
I mean, God promised Christ not to one person or to another, but he promised Christ the Savior to the whole seed of Abraham. That's at the core of the covenants and the promises of God. I mean, the good news, if you want the Greek here, the euangelizo, y'all want to write that down? The euangelizo, the good news is a proclamation, a preaching, a declaration of great news. But but notice that this good news will not bring great joy to all people. This great joy will be for the people, a specific people who actually hear and respond to this message. The New King James Version translates verse 10 this way. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The article the is not there. Different translation theories here. But translation scholars, since the publication of the original King James, pay special attention to one Greek article in verse 10 that speaks of a specific people, not just generic people. I won't bore you with too much of the Greek, but in this verse, the Greek article there, you know what an article is in grammar? Let's go back to English 101. A, the, pointing, and pointing to something specific. The people. There is a specific Greek article here pointing to the people. The article is uniquely present in verse 10, speaking of a unique people or even a unique nation. So that's why I think the initial conversation here of the angels, this message brings great joy, but only a specific people, only a specific people will know this joy. Now, reformed-minded people, listen to me here. Here's what John Calvin says. If John Calvin says it in reform-minded thinking, it must be good. Here's what he says. Here's how John Calvin describes this common announcement and the joy that follows. He says, God invites all indiscriminately to salvation through the gospel. God invites all indiscriminately through the gospel, but the ingratitude of the world is the reason why this grace, which is equally offered to all, is enjoyed only by a few. Although this joy is confined to a few persons, yet with respect to God, it is said to be common. Some may take this verse and say God only chooses certain people to have joy in this message. But God is intended for this message to be twofold. It is uniquely to the people, the people of Israel in this moment, because that's the promise that God has made with his people Israel for generations and generations and generations. Yet the second layer of this is it's also intended to be announced to all people. Announced to all. Preach it to all people. That's why here in verses 11 through 12, the message is that a Savior is born in the city of David, a descendant of a son of David, who the angel declares is Christ the Lord. I mean, this great descendant of David, one in the royal line of secession, was to be found in a lowly feeding trough, a manger wrapped in strips of cloth. And this angel is first declaring initially in his announcement, it's for the people. God's people. But then in verses 13 through 14, 
I don't want to make the details of Jesus' location at his birth insignificant because it is significant. Let's look here at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those in the ESV with whom he is pleased. <laughs> I mean... I want to focus our attention on this heavenly adoration and praise. This heavenly host sings, well, speaks and declares praise here. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, initially there was an angel or the angel of the Lord. And immediately at this point, there was a great multitude of the heavenly host right there. Again, the traditional translation of verse 14 leads some to believe that this great peace may be had by all people. Even though the declaration is to be heard by all people, it doesn't mean that all people will receive peace. That's important. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. That's the traditional translation here. But the idea of goodwill toward men is more accurately translated toward men of goodwill. Again, that's a more specific people who will see the peace here. Men of goodwill. We, let's just be honest, not all men are of goodwill. Correct? The idea that we all, all human beings have some innate sense of goodness in them is not a biblical concept. We do not have goodness in us. We have sin in us. So not all of us are of goodwill, but those who see the peace, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or another translation, peace among men of goodwill. If man does not have goodwill, there is no peace. As the ESV, the English, trans, English Standard Version that I'm reading from, even the New International Version and the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, these are more modern English translations, they translate verse 14 with whom he is pleased. That's a more common translation now. The idea of men of goodwill makes sense here then. The Greek word for goodwill means men of good pleasure or men of goodwill. And so this heavenly host must have been a glorious sight here. That's what this praise is. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men of goodwill or men with whom he is pleased. How do we get to that point? How does God, how is God pleased with us? How are we as sinful human beings, men of goodwill, women of goodwill, that's the announcement here. That's the joy here. That's the praise here. This heavenly host, think about this, must have been a glorious sight to these shepherds. All modern film adaptations and even church Christmas plays of this scene fall far short of the true level of adoration and praise here. There's no way that we could mimic it or copy it. Imagine the night sky filled with the heavenly host. Literally, the armies of heaven fill the sky here. I mean, it was not just human-shaped angels floating in the sky above the shepherds. That's the best we can do in modern film technology. 
And if children are doing a Christmas play, we might string one of them up by a rope or something. But imagine the scene here when the heavenly host arrives. The entire heavens were filled with the glory of God at this announcement. The stars themselves are the presence of the glory of God. Imagine the night sky so full of brightness and God's glory. The heavenly host fills the night sky at this exact moment in human history. Got that picture in your mind? That's what these shepherds witnessed. I mean, I can imagine that at this crucial moment here in verse 13, suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Suddenly. I can imagine at that point in verse 13, maybe Jesus himself was born. Imagine that. The, the exact second that God himself becomes flesh. The, vac, the exact second that the Son of the Most High is born is the exact second here in verse 13 that the heavenly host fills the heavenly sky. Boom. God is here. You got that in your head? Got that in your mind? And the response of the heavenly host is this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Peace on earth. Because God who is peace, His Son of the Most High, who is peace, is now here. At that moment, the heavens declared the glory of God. You see it? You got that in your mind? And although the angel said that this joy will be to all the people in verse 10, he spoke of the chosen people of God only in this moment, the called ones, the chosen nation of people, the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. But now in the now that the middle wall of partition that separates all humanity from God's presence is now torn down by Christ's arrival, his sacrifice and his resurrection tears down this dividing wall. Because of that, this same message of good news that was uniquely to the children of Israel now becomes good news and great joy meant for all people in this present day where we find ourselves. Think about this, this present reality that we have as Gentiles ourselves. We now have the opportunity to be adopted by God as his sons and his daughters. The Old Testament covenants and promises of God are fulfilled to His people, Israel. Yet then the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior makes it possible for all of us to be part of that covenant too. That's unique here. I mean, the Apostle Paul shows us in his letter to the Ephesians, particularly chapter 2, that the gospel hope that was first preached to Israel is now preached and heard by all. The great joy for all. That's the idea here of goodwill to all men. Let's let's look and then we'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 22. If you want to flip over there, we're going to close with this because you, 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 you compare 
What Paul says here in Ephesians 2 with what occurred in Luke chapter 2, I think you're going to see a bigger picture of that glorious holy night. Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the state of all humanity. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Verse 14, For He Himself is what? Our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making Peace. How do we understand peace here? Verses 16 through 17 of Ephesians 2 are important to understand that the adoration of praise of these heavenly hosts points to the great promise of God for all who he considers goodwill. That he might, beginning of verse 15 into 16, that He might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace, making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Here's what Jesus did, thereby killing the hostility, the hostility of sin that separates us from our creator. Verse 17, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off, those outside of the the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, all of the Abrahamic Covenant, those who are outside, those are outside of God's grace, and peace to those who were near, those within the covenants of God's grace. So this is why I think this adoration of praise that comes from the heavenly host back in Luke 2.14 announces the glory of God over a fallen humanity, a fallen world, that is now reconciled in peace to God the Creator if and only if God finds favor in men of goodwill. I mean, it it is Christ Jesus who recognizes, I'm sorry, who reconciles this hostility. It is Christ Jesus who now reconciles us in peace It is Christ Jesus, the one born at this moment of heavenly declaration to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. It is Christ Jesus, the one at this moment who is the, who, who, who is, comes at the most holy of nights who calls to all of humanity. This declaration of peace, this possibility of peace is both for all humankind but more specifically to those who are of goodwill whom God is pleased. You see that? So when we look back here in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, 
This night is the most holy of nights for a reason. It's because God Himself, the Creator, has stepped into this world in a unique and promising way. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. I mean, the heavenly host begins with glory to God. Let's take a look here at this declaration. We're going to close with this. Let's break down this declaration in verse 14 by these angels, this heavenly host. Here is how we model their praise. Y'all ready for that? Parents, you want to teach your children how to praise the Lord at this moment in this Christmas season? This verse will help you. Number one, the heavenly host begins with glory to God in the highest as an adoration of gratitude and thanksgiving. Gratitude to God for what? His mercy is now shown. And the heavenly host praises that God and the Son of the Most High who is now born bring peace to the earth. But, but, This peace is not between men and the end of all war. That's also been a misguided interpretation of this text. This peace is not an end to hostilities between us. Unfortunately, our sin continues there. This peace is the peace that the Son of the Most High brings that ends hostilities between the Most High, God Himself, and His created. That's us. I mean, the peace is not peace in men who are far apart from God, who have no peace at all. We have no peace within us. Apart from God, we are lost and we're hostile toward Him. And if we're hostile toward God, we're going to be hostile toward one another. What does the heavenly host mean by peace here? It's part of their adoration of praise. They are singing adoration and praise of peace. They certainly do not speak of an outward peace that we negotiate, right? Y'all have conflict with somebody? I mean, I do this with marriage counseling sometimes. You got to negotiate the peace between the parties. That's not what's occurring here. They they certainly do not speak of this outward negotiated peace. These, These angels, they're declaring peace. When men have been reconciled to God and, and, and when they enjoy an inward peace that only God Himself can instill. I mean, we obtain peace with God when He begins to be gracious toward us. I want to let that sink in. We experience this peace that is declared here when God Himself begins to be gracious toward us. I mean, we obtain peace with God when He takes the guilt of our sinful state and atones for it. We obtain peace when we rely on God's fatherly love. And we call upon Him with with our full confidence and our full faith. And we boldly praise Him for the salvation which He promised to us. That and only then will we see peace. I mean, what is your adoration and praise today? What is your adoration and praise in this Christmas season? Let me back up even further. Are you even adoring our Christ this season at all? Are you, do you have an attitude of adoration and praise at all? 
In this season of secularized Christmas, oh, I'm sorry, I just said a bad word. Secularized holiday season, I still say Christmas, I'm sorry. Do we adore our Savior? What does it mean to adore? Oh, we're going to adore the Christmas presents that we rip open on Christmas morning. We'll adore those for about maybe, if at best, 15 minutes. Do we adore our Savior? What is adoration? It's, it's love. It's reverence. A desire. Adoration and praise. What is your adoration and praise in this Christmas season? Are you fully confident and do you truly believe that the salvation offered by God is also offered to you? Has Christ brought you into his peace? If you don't have that, you'll never adore him. You'll never have this peace, this end of hostility between sinful men and God. That's the message here as well. To be a man of goodwill, to be a man with whom God is pleased, is that God is pleased with the heart of repentance and a bold declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and Savior of sinful men. You declare that, you genuinely have that in your heart, you adore that truth, then you will receive God's gift of peace and salvation. I mean, this passage is not about whether or not we accept God's peace. I don't want us to walk away with that misperception. It has absolutely nothing to do with God passively waiting for us to accept His peace. Or Jesus passively sitting back and waiting, well, do you love me or do you not? The idea that somehow Jesus will never force Himself upon someone is such an unbiblical concept. I mean, this passage is not about whether we accept this or not. It is instead about the source of God's peace. It's really about God is the source of this peace. God's fatherly love toward us is the source of this peace. It's also the source of His pleasure with us. Yes, sinful men, in their, in their attitude of ingratitude, we have an ungrateful attitude. We're not going to have that peace. We have an un, if we have an if we are ungrateful to God for this offer, this atonement for our sin, if we're not grateful for that, we're not men of goodwill. And we're not men with whom he is pleased. I want you to walk away with this one point. Here is the point of this whole declaration of the heavenly host. And Matt, remember, this is the heavenly host declaring this. Heaven is saying this to all of the earth. God's grace is the source of all peace. That's what's being said here. The message of adoration and praise from this heavenly host teaches us that goodwill or God's pleasure is the source of peace. This peace is a free gift and flows. Where does it come from? It flows from the pure mercy of God, the Most High. As we, I mean, we, when we rightly proclaim to God our Father, to Christ our Savior, that we adore you, Lord, 
and we mean it. Let us learn from this heavenly host how to properly adore Him. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men of goodwill with whom He is pleased. That is the adoration and praise this morning. So as Nathan and April and the, and the musicians come up, what are we singing here, buddy? Love divine, all love's excelling. Can we close our time of worship with an attitude of adoration and praise as we sing this song? How are we going to sing this closing hymn? With adoration and praise. Our, our, I, I want to beg you, take your heart, take your soul, and just focus it where? Right up to the heavens. And sing praises to this sinful earth that our Savior is here. Can we do that? Some of y'all are willing to do that. Some of you are going, man, pastor's crazy this morning. <laughs> Folks, I mean, this is a great time. I mean, we're... I mean, let's just close in prayer. And we'll say, Father God Almighty, we praise You for this time. Thank You so much for showing us in Luke's Gospel that that very moment that Your Son comes to the earth. The moment of the incarnation, that exact moment of birth is the exact moment that the heavenly host declares praise and they say wonderful, wonderful things. Glory to God the Most High. Thank you, Father, for bringing peace here. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you chased us and you came after us. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to accept what you have to offer because we know where it comes from. Cause us, Father, to acknowledge that this gift is from you. And break us, Father. Break our attitudes of pride. Give us attitudes of gratefulness. Lord, let this last song of our worship bring you pleasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.